Good morning, Grace family. I will be reading today from Exodus 19. If you have your personal Bible, please open it to that. If you want to use the Pew Bible, page 60. Or, of course, it'll be on the screen. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are all the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments, and be ready for the third day. For on the third day the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, Take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments, and he said to the people, Be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord to look, and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the Lord, The people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, 
set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, Go down and come up bringing Aaron with you. But do not let the priests and the people break through to come up to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Welcome again, everybody. If you're a first-timer here with us, we are in the book of Exodus, obviously. And Exodus is this amazing story about how God delivers His people from slavery. And you've probably heard that story. It's a very famous story. You've probably seen the movie, either the old Charlton Heston version or the, car- the cartoon. You know, either one. They're both awesome. And you know it's fast-paced, and they're moving, and they're going, and um, God delivers them, and they're free the end. No, we got a lot of book left, don't we? We got a lot of book left. In fact, the whole point of Exodus is to show us God doesn't just free His people to set them free. He sets them free to bring them in to a covenant with Himself to reestablish himself as their God and them as their people. So our title is From Slavery to Glory. And today, Exodus 19, Mount Sinai, we're starting to see this glory. This is the chapter where we cry out, we made it, we did it. We're at the mountain. This is how the book started. Moses chapter 3 is on this mountain, Mount Sinai, and he, and he sees the burning bush. And God says, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to rescue you, and I'm going to bring you back to this mountain. Here we are. We did it. We made it. You ever felt that way? Like we did it. It was exhausting. It was terrifying at times. Some of you probably feel this way just getting to church this morning, right? Like you had to go through a Red Sea. You had grumblers and complainers on either side of you. God had to rain Cheerios out of heaven just so you could get something to eat. And you did it. You got everybody in the car, mostly functioning, and you're here. Praise God. You did it. God wants to have a relationship with us, doesn't he? God loves us. God wants to be our God. Do you have a relationship with God this morning? Our sermon today is called Meeting Our Covenant God in Christ. So we're going to get to the Christ part, Jesus Christ. We're going to get to Jesus. But before we do, let's just kind of walk through the chapter real quick, okay? Just point out what's going on in Exodus 19. Here at the mountain, everything's going to come to a, a, you know, we're going to hit the brakes. It's going to come to a grinding halt. They will be at the foot of the mountain for the next year. The next 57 chapters of the Bible, they're at the foot of the mountain. The rest of Exodus, all of Leviticus, and half of Numbers. Okay? So, get used to it. We're parked. We're parked for a while. God's going to talk. We're going to listen. At the mountain, they're going to meet God. This is God restoring a broken relationship with humanity. If you know your Bible a little bit, you know way back in Exodus chapter 1, God created a garden, and He put people in the garden, and the garden was this meeting place between God and man. 
the place where man, Adam and Eve, they would fellowship with God and they would walk with God and they would listen to God. The same is happening here, except this is no garden. This is no paradise. This is a wilderness. This is God on top of a mountain coming in smoke and fire. This chapter is full of covenant language. Covenant language. Covenants were very common back then. Kings would make covenants with their servants. I will be your king. You will be my servant. This is everything I've done for you and everything I will do for you. You will bow to me, honor me, pay taxes, all of that. So this is very common. This is a common, a, a common ancient Near East covenant. The structure of it is something that is, would, would not be foreign to them. But there are, there are some differences, as we'll see. Moses, of course, is the mediator of the covenant, isn't he? And we can tell that because three times in this chapter, I don't know if you caught it, but three times in this chapter, Moses is going up the mountain and then down the mountain. And then he goes back up the mountain and then down the mountain. Three times. So he's going, he goes up, he talks to God, comes back down and tells the people. Goes back up, talks to God, comes back down, tells the people. Goes back up, talks to God, comes back down, tells the people. Whew, I'm, I'm tired just acting it out. <laughs> Moses was in good shape, I guess. So verse 3, ascent number 1. Moses went up to God. Do you see that? Everybody look at verse 3. God reviews, verse 4, this is covenant. You yourselves have seen what I've done. I got you out of Egypt. I bore you on eagle's wings. Now, verse 5, here's what you'll do. You'll keep my covenant. You'll be my people. Verse 6, you'll be my priests and my holy nation. Then Moses goes back down the mountain and tells this to the people. And look at verse 8. The people in good covenant fashion say, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Yeah, right. <laughs> we'll come back to that. And then he, go, and he goes back up the mountain. He goes back up the mountain. Verse, end of verse 8, Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. He goes back up, and then God says, okay, I'm going to come down. I'm going to come down to the top of the mountain. Get the people ready. And you notice they got to wash. They have to wash themselves. Sexual abstinence is part of it. And they're, they're preparing themselves for God. And God makes it very clear, nobody, nobody touches the mountain. So far, only one person's touching the mountain. That's Moses. Nobody, you touch the mountain, you die. Your dog touches the mountain, it dies. Your cow touches the mountain, it dies. Do not touch the mountain. Okay? So Moses comes back down, tells the people, get ready, get ready. God's coming. God, you know, God's coming to town. He knows if you've been naughty or nice. Here he comes. Ascent number three, verse 20. Verse 20, the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. 
Not only is Moses going up to the top of the mountain to hear the voice of God, he's going up into the smoke, into the lightnings and thunders, into the earthquake. That had to be terrifying. Moses will say later, that was terrifying. I was terrified by that. So Moses is going up into the theophany. We call it a theophany. That's just a fancy word that means God is taking on a form and appearing to people. So in this case, the theophany is this storm. It's like a giant storm on top of the mountain. And then what will happen next is Moses will come back down and he'll deliver the law to the people. That's chapter 20. We'll get there next week. Okay, so how, what does, as Christians, so we're here, we're gathered, we're a, Christ, we're a group of Christians, we're a Christian church. What do we do with this? How do we make sense of this as Christians? And so I want to draw out of Exodus 19 three ways that this points to Jesus Christ. Three ways that this points to Jesus Christ. Lesson one, Christ invites us into a new and better covenant relationship with God. Jesus Christ invites us into a new and better covenant relationship with God. God is a covenant God. A covenant's just a fancy way of saying God makes promises to people. He, he, he enters into agreements with people. These promises are rooted in law, but they're also rooted in love, much like a marriage covenant today. When, I, when me and Joy got married, uh, we, it was legal. You're probably happy to know that. <laughs> uh, it was a legal marriage. We are legally married, but we also declared our love to each other. So, we're in love. Christ invites us into a covenant with God that's even better than this, even better than Exodus 19. Look at Exodus 19 again, verse Five. Now, therefore, if, if you will obey, if you will obey. Now, it's important for us to understand. Let me show you this little graphic. The people of Israel are in a covenant with God already. It's called the Abrahamic covenant, okay? So, that happened back in Genesis. Genesis 12, God establishes it. He repeats it in 15. He repeats it in 17. He repeats it in 22. And, and the people are in a covenant with God. And that's pretty much an unconditional covenant. I'm your God. You're my people. Let's go. The Sinai covenant that we're reading here in Exodus 19, it's best for us to see it as sort of a covenant within a covenant. Everybody tracking with me? Okay, so this is what makes, it can make it a little bit tricky because on the one hand, God is saying, I'm going to be, because I promised Abraham, I'm always going to be your God. You're always going to be my people. But here at Sinai, God is throwing out some conditions. He's throwing out some ifs. Okay, so they're not, they're not God's people because of Mount Sinai. They're not getting the promised land because of Mount Sinai. They're getting those things because of Abraham because of Abraham, because promises God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But God is saying, look, if you want to live 
in covenant blessing, you got to obey me. And if you've ever read the book of Deuteronomy, it's, all, it's chapter upon chapter of, if you obey me, you'll be blessed. If you do this, I'll bless you. And then it's chapter upon chapter of, if you disobey me, uh-oh, cursing, cursing, curse you, curses, curses, curses. And it's, it's not happy. And so, that's the Sinai covenant. If you want to live in covenant blessing, you must obey God. And on an individual basis, if you break the covenant, if, the, if this group of people break God's covenant, He's threatening, you will no longer be my people. And we're going to see that in just a few chapters. We're going to see the people break this covenant so badly that God is going to say, I'm done with all of you, just give me Moses. I'm starting over with Moses. And if He starts over with Moses, He's still keeping Abraham, Abrahamic covenant, but he gets to kick aside all of these people who disobey him all the time, okay? So, this is a big deal. It's a big deal. And here's what we know. If you've, if you've grown up in the church, if you've read your Bible, if you've been to Sunday school, here's what you know. The whole Old Testament is story after story after story of the Israelites not obeying this covenant. Everything you say, we will do for a couple chapters. I mean, literally, that's how it plays out. Like, for a day. We'll be good for a day. Whew. And then Jesus came. Jesus came and He obeyed the covenant, didn't He? Jesus did everything God asks in the Old Testament. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus never broke the law of God? Did you know that He kept the Ten Commandments perfectly? Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus is the only person who ever lived that has done that? Did you know that? Not only that, but Jesus, Jesus didn't just obey the covenant. Jesus doesn't just obey the law of God. Jesus fulfills the law of God. The law of God is actually, the, in the New Testament, it'll say all of this Sinai stuff, it's all just a shadow. It's all just a picture. Jesus is the real deal. Jesus is the true sacrifice. Jesus is the true mediator. Jesus is the true tabernacle or tent of God. Jesus is reality. This that we read, this Exodus 19, is shadow. It just points to something greater, something better. And so, when we get the better, when we get the greater, we don't need the shadow. You with me? Jesus is the greater. He is the fulfiller of the law. And not only that, not only did Jesus obey the law and fulfill the law, He also took the curse of the law upon Himself. He took the curse of the law upon Himself. So, Jesus, the one human being who obeyed all the law, actually was punished as if he broke all of the law. 
Galatians chapter 3, written by the Apostle Paul, says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. The curse for us. Folks, that's the gospel message. That's the gospel message, that when we read all of these things in the Old Testament, all of these laws, these Ten Commandments and beyond, hundreds and hundreds of laws of God, and we read them, it should bring us to despair. It should make us say, I can't do any of that. And the answer is, you're right, you can't, Jesus did. You can't, Jesus did. And He was punished as if He didn't. He was punished as if He was the criminal. That's the punishment you deserve, I deserve, for being lawbreakers in the courts of God. And so now Jesus, by His death and resurrection, He brings about a new covenant. The Sinai covenant is fulfilled in the cross of Jesus Christ, whereby Jesus ends it and brings about a new covenant with better promises a new covenant with better promises. Hebrews 8, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old. Exodus 19 is the old. As the covenant He mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. You see, here's the old covenant promise. If you obey then you will be blessed. Good luck. Here's the new covenant promise. Because you are blessed in Christ, therefore you can obey. Can you see the difference? One is earning. One is receiving. The first one is the root of all religion. Every religion on the planet says, If you do these things, you will achieve God. You will achieve heaven. You will achieve the blessing of God. But Christ Christ says the opposite. He says, nope, I'm going to freely give it all to you. And by, by giving it all to you, then now that your heart is full, now that your heart is free, now you can actually obey me. That's the gospel. We are blessed in Christ, blessed with unbreakable eternal relationship with God, blessed with forgiveness, blessed with a new heart that loves God, and blessed with everlasting access, free access to God. Lesson two, through Christ we come to God without limits. In Exodus 19, limits. It literally says, put limits around the mountain. I mean, I don't know what Moses did. Was it barbed wire? Was it like that police tape? You know, cones? I'm not sure what he did. Somehow he set a limit, and he said, do not cross this line. There's God. There's his mountain. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. There was a limit. And guys, this is, this is the, the big paradox of the Old Testament and of Exodus. God God is saying, I'm coming to you. I want to be with you, but stay away. Come to me, but not too close. Live with me, but not really. Not really. 
what do we do with that? <laughs> that's, that's, not, that's not a relationship with God. That's, like, that, that's confusing. Which is it? Do you want me or not? But it's not God who has the problem, is it? It's us. We're, we're limited by our sin. We're limited by our inability to obey. We're limited by our, our impurity. God tells them, um, literally clean yourselves, take a bath. Tell everybody to take a bath, okay? Tell everybody to abstain from sex for three days. You're going to be pure. You're going to be ritually pure. And then God comes down the mountain, and guess what? They still can't touch the mountain. Did any of that do them any good? <laughs> did, did Moses roll up the tape and say, okay, now we can go in? Now that you took your bath. No. <laughs> no. They have a problem. They are sinners. Let me ask you a question. Are you a sinner? Whew. But how bad is your sin? How bad is it really? Look, do you just mess up? Are, are, are you good most of the time and just occasionally you mess up? Is God, is, is God your crutch? Is God helping you or is God rescuing you? Are you? Do you need a savior or do you need a life coach? Let me ask you this. Do you live in despair over your sin every day? And Christian, I'm talking to you. Do you live in despair over your sinfulness every day? Or do you, are you waking up every morning understanding that today I bring nothing to the table. And I've been saved for 50 years, 60 years. So I've been to Bible college. I've been to seminary. I got a degree in this stuff, and I still bring nothing to the table. All of my good is mixed with bad. As Augustine said, there's vice in all our virtue. Do you believe that about yourself? Or do you think you get it right most of the time? Are you delusional enough like these people that you are saying to God, God, all that you command, I will obey? Is that your presentation to God every day? God, today I will obey you. That's a joke. You understand that's a joke, right? You understand that he, is, that he is fire and smoke and thunder and lightning and pure and holy, and, and he's, never, he's never ever sinned. He's never once gotten it wrong, and that's what he demands of his creation. You understand that, right? And this is the only way to know the weight of our sin. The only way to know the weight of your sin is not to look at your sin, but to look at the holiness of God on the mountain. When you look at the holiness of God on the mountain, you, 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 you hide. It's coming. It's coming. A few more chapters. The Israelites are going to say, Moses, not only are we not going to touch the mountain, we're going to go live over here. <laughs> we're moving away from the mountain. Why? Because they saw the holiness of God. 
What's the solution to our sin problem? Christ and His new covenant. Listen, the solution to the holiness problem, the solution to God is so holy and you are so not, the solution is not to lessen God. Hear me. We are not going to lessen God. God does not lessen God. The cross of Christ does not lessen the holiness of God. What we have to do is we have to find a bridge between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. We have to have a cleansing. We have to have a changed heart. Hebrews 9, therefore Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred, that's the cross, that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Are you tracking with that? Everything you say, we will obey. No, they didn't. They sinned, and they sinned, and then they sinned. And guess what they did after that? They sinned. And then a couple chapters later, guess what they did? Sinned. Do I have to keep going? I'm not out of Exodus 32 yet. (laughs) They're sinning. You're sinning. I'm sinning. But because of a death, because of Jesus' death on the cross, we are redeemed out from under the transgressions committed under that first covenant. Can you say amen to that? Hebrews 10 16 and 17, it says this, this is the covenant. It's quoting the prophet Jeremiah. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. The new covenant, this is the new covenant. Here we go. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Oh, am I missing a slide? And I will remember their sins no more. (laughs) I think the next verse didn't make it on there. And I will remember their sins no more. That's the next verse. God says, look, here's the new covenant. I'm going to change your heart, and I'm going to erase your sins. But how did that happen? Did that happen because we lessened God? Because God said, eh, all right, you tried your best. Good try, humans. Good effort. No, it happened because there was a death, because there was a death that paid for the transgressions. A death on a mountain marked by smoke and fire and earthquake. The death of Jesus Christ. What about you this morning? Are you living in God's covenant, Christ's covenant of grace Have all of your sins been forgiven by God? For one of, yes, there's one person. Praise God. (laughs) Church, have all of your sins been forgiven by God? Has your heart been changed by God? Has He given you a heart that loves Him, that can obey Him? That's what the new covenant is. That's the promise of the new covenant. Because of Christ, because of Christ, all of our impurity, all all of our sinfulness, 
all of our rebellion by faith in Christ, simple faith in Christ, all of that is cast away into the sea. All of that is as far as east is from west. All of that is cleansed, not by our own washing, but by the washing of the blood of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? If you're here this morning and you don't believe that, you need to believe it. You need to believe it because there is no other hope. There is no other hope for meeting God. There is no other hope for living on the mountain with God. The only hope is Jesus Christ and His righteousness. So now, in Christ, there is no limit, Christian. In Christ, if you have Jesus in you, you have holiness in you. You have perfection in you. You have fullness in you. In the person of Christ, there is no obstacle. There is no limit. There is no veil. There is no door. There's no restriction. There's no threats. There's no punishments. There's no warnings. There's nothing that you can do to get you closer to God. No recitations, no rededications, no consecrations. None of it can get you closer to God than what Jesus has already done. I don't feel close to God. I'm, I, I get it. I don't either half the time. But my feelings are not the proof of whether or not I'm close to God. The blood of Jesus Christ is the proof. So come boldly. Lesson three. In Christ we are holy, royal priests. Let's look at verse five and six again. Okay, we've gotten rid of the if. We've gotten rid of the if you obey, then you'll be my priests and holy nation. Verse 6, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And we've replaced the if then with because therefore. Because I am in Christ, therefore I am a holy royal priest unto God. See, God has always wanted priests. He's always wanted king priests, queen priests. This goes back to the garden. In the Garden of Eden, when God made humanity, when He crafted humanity, He gave them dominion. Do you see it? God blessed them, Adam and Eve. God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, have dominion over creation. God created humanity to be kings and queens. And then God placed them into a garden, the Garden of Eden. And He told them to be priests. God took the man, the Adam, and He put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. Work, serve, keep, protect. Those two Hebrew words are going to be used to describe what priests do in the temple. Priests work and serve, so I'm sorry, serve and protect in the temple, in the tabernacle that we'll get to in a few chapters. We were made as human beings to be royal priests, but then Adam and Eve sinned, didn't they? And when Adam and Eve sinned, Man, now, in rebellion against God, 
still trying to be kings, still trying to be priests and order a humanistic religion, a religion that puts man at the center, man has taken over and said, now you will serve me. Now you will worship me. And in Exodus, we saw that with this guy named Pharaoh. Pharaoh was a king priest in the temple of himself. I'm the king, I'm the God. Do what I say. Build my temples, build my streets, build my buildings. We are not meant to be slaves to each other. We are meant to be king priests unto God, serving each other, yes, to the glory of God. Okay, but is this in the New Testament? Well, of course it is. Well, of course it is. Jesus came to us, didn't he? Didn't he? Jesus came to us, and he came to us as the ultimate king priest. Jesus came to us restoring dominion to mankind. He came as a person. That's why Jesus had to, Jesus is God who had to incarnate and become a person so that as a human being, he could restore humanity to rightful, our rightful place as the kings and priests in the world. And Jesus did that. And you know where he did it? At the cross. At the cross. At the cross, Jesus was crowned. At the cross, Jesus was robed. At the cross, Jesus held a scepter. At the cross, it said above his head, King of the Jews. Jesus was lifted up as the King of humanity, ironically, through his shameful death. And then, also on the cross, not only is he being lifted up as the king of humanity, he is offering for humanity the ultimate priestly sacrifice for us. He is acting as our priest on our behalf. He climbed up the mountain like Moses into the storm, into the theophany, into the cloud, into the lightnings, into the thunders. He was elevated as king, and he offered the priestly sacrifice himself. And by his resurrection, he is declared by God to be the king and the high priest of the universe. Now, you have Christ in you. What does that make you? You have this identity. You, church, you, Christian, are a king, a queen, a priest. You mediate God's authority and blessing to the world. You proclaim the excellencies of God. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. That's straight from Exodus 19, isn't it? That's Peter saying, as Christians, we are now living the life that God wanted Israel to live, but they failed. But now through Christ, we will not fail because he has not failed and he is in us. So Christian, let me ask you this question. Now that you know that you're a king priest, now that you know that you're a queen priest, let me ask you this question. Is your life that big? Or has your life been reduced down to the trivialities of your career? 
Has your, have, have you reduced your life down to those video games that you play six hours a day? The shows you binge watch for hours upon hours? The degrees and diplomas that you're stressed out about getting? Is your life only that big? Is your life only as big as your latest achievement? Your latest promotion? Your latest good grade in school? Is your life only as big as the amount of money you got in your bank account? Is your life only as big as your retirement plan? Or are you a king priest? Are you a queen priest? What are you? What am I? We are shepherd kings, shepherd queens. We've been placed into our garden to serve it and protect it, to work it and keep it, to proclaim the excellencies of Christ who called me out of darkness and into His marvelous light. Does that describe your life, Christian? I'm not talking about doing great things for God. I'm not talking about doing big, huge. I'm, I'm saying in the ordinary, everydayness of life, are you seeing how big your life actually is? In that little tiny corner, 3046 Traymore Lane. That's my address. In that little corner of the universe, am I a king priest in that house? 7210 Racetrack Road. Do you know that one? That's where we are. In this little slice of the universe, are you a king priest, a queen priest, declaring the excellencies of Christ? And listen, it's not if then... It's not if then. The blessing of Christ does not hinge upon this. You already have the blessing of Christ. This is because, therefore, because it is finished, because it is finished, you can participate in the life of Christ, His priesthood, His reign, no pressure, no guilt, no fear of failure, no performance reviews, no grades, no report cards, just free to live and free to love. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the ultimate king. We confess it. We confess it. We confess that we have often been little pharaohs in our own world. But Jesus, we want to worship you as our king, serve you as our king. Jesus, you are the ultimate priest. You have made the final sacrifice, the once-for-all sacrifice. Let our lives, let our little tiny lives be as big as your kingdom. Let our little tiny lives be as purposeful as your priesthood. Help us to proclaim you. Help us to declare you. Help us to love like you. We're not going to stand up here and say, all that the Lord has commanded, we will do. We're not going to say that. We are going to say, Jesus, please do everything 
in and through us. That is what we pray. We love you. Thank you for finishing the work on your cross. We pray in your name. Amen.